como va? Whatever it goes. Now that's good entertainment. Elvis. Are you lonely tonight? He always had that herald, you know, kind of a snarl. A hook, a hook, a burning love. <laughs> I did. I used to like to watch those beach movies he did, those cheesy late 60s. Uh, oh, yeah, he got the chicks. It was like, okay. You know, there are, there are people I, I've met that seem to be... The commitment of nonviolence comes very easy for them. They just look like peaceful people. They have a quiet demeanor, and they're humble, and, and uh, I think nonviolence comes real natural to them. Uh, I am not of that ilk. Uh, I've had the commitment to nonviolence for 10 years, but it doesn't come natural to me, honestly. Um, my dad, I don't think I've ever shared this before, but he was, for when he was younger, well, of course, he's dead now, but... So he had to be younger. But uh, as a young man, he uh, was a Golden Glove boxer. It was pretty good, too. Um, the only trouble was he had a big nose. He really had a schnoz on him. And, and uh, he'd take a, if he got a direct hit on that nose, uh, his eyes would get so watered up he couldn't see, and it would be bleeding the rest of the fight. Uh, they wanted to take, I guess they can take the, bar, the bone out of there. Uh, but then when you're 60, you know, it drops down to your chin. So uh, when it's that big, you'd be looking like a little elephant. So he decided not to. But he was a good fighter. And that's kind of, you know, in my blood. So in fifth grade, there is this kid in our block who was a bully, Jim Hayes. God rest his soul. Yeah, I heard he passed away this year. Um, but he just, he terrified all the rest of us kids. Um, he was one of these kids who was always in trouble. Um, you know, got sent to Boys Town and runs with the police. And there's legends about his violent exploits, his pulverizing kids. And we were terrified of him. Um, if uh, we were playing ball at the local ballpark and he and his crew came along, we had to leave. They just took over the field. Uh, if we're driving around, on our, riding around on our bikes and uh, happened to come upon him and his friends, they'd always taunt us and ridicule us and embarrass us in front of the girls that were there. But we didn't dare fight back because this is Jim Hayes and he is a tough, tough kid. I, there was a rumor that he knew karate and judo and whatever. So this one time we're playing ball in this park, and he and his crew show up, and they say, you got to get out of here. We're taking over the park. And I don't know what it was about that particular day. Maybe well, I kind of was fond of the girl playing shortstop for us, uh, and so that maybe has something to do it. I can, I can give a kid courage. So I, 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 I just I got so mad. I, two years he's been terrorizing us. I wasn't going to take it any longer. And so I said to him, we're not leaving. we got one more inning to play. You'll have to wait. And everyone was like, you just talked back to Jim Hayes. I said, we're not leaving. And he goes, oh, you want to fight over it? And I said, absolutely. And we went at it. And he threw a couple punches. Um, and, uh, and then when he, he went to, uh, he had this kick thing that he would do, like a Steven Seagal thing where he'd like kick and then flip around or something like that. And um, so he went to kick me, like my, my face, and I ducked, and then I was able to kick his other leg out from under him. So he fell on the ground, and I jumped on him, pinned him to the ground, and I just start, went, I, I just popped, I just went crazy on his face. I mean, I was just, I was taking off three years of frustration. I was just boiling. I don't know. Have you ever been to the point where you're just like out of control? 
This, and apparently I have a pretty good punch when I'm out of control. Don't mess with me. <laughs> You'll be glad that I have committed to nonviolence. Uh, oh, I got my dad's punch. And um, guess who no one ever messed with again? <laughs> Big bad boy, yeah. That's me. Well, you know, I think back on that event once in a while uh, when I see people going crazy. Uh, they lose it. Like we've seen this a lot on airplanes lately. You know, this air- airplane rage. Uh, this, this last week, guy just, yeah, I, I know what's happening to him. I've been there. He just lost it and he punches the person. These days, you punch a person, you're going to get slapped with a law, big lawsuit. In fact, back then, the family threatened to sue my family because this guy had to have uh, braces after that because I loosened his teeth. I'm telling you, I'm bad. Um, so, yeah, so we're seeing this on airplanes a lot. You know, people's fuses are getting shorter, partly because they're cramming more and more and more of us in the plane. Uh, you got shorter space, can't. You have any legroom? Charging for everything now, charging for the baggage and charging for extra fees. I, I tell you, it won't be too long before they're going to charge for those emergency oxygen masks that come down. <laughs> the cab is losing pressure, and we're about to crash. If you'd like to have an oxygen mask and breathe, swipe your credit card. So people are getting irritated, and their fuses get shortened, so they pop, they pop, go crazy on one another. We get road rage going on all over the place. And see, the thing is that this is just a little microcosm of the world. And we live in a world full of conflict, don't we? It's conflict. I watch the news every night and read the paper every morning, and it's almost all conflict. Um, on national scale, political scale, oh, politics, here we go again. It's a happy time. Every four years, we get to listen to this for another year and two months, or however long it is. Conflict, you know, people arguing about political ideas. Who's supposed to be boss? Who's the best one? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, we live in a world of conflict. Our neighborhoods, our families, workplaces. And the thing we're going to see today is we're in this mixtape series, playing what we want, passages that we groove to. I want to look at Ephesians 2. And we're going to see here that um, uh, Christ brought us this peace in this world of conflict. He is our peace, and we are called to be peacemakers. And this is a very, very important job description to have. So let's read this, Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, where is it here? Here it is. Therefore, remember that... Formerly you who are Gentiles by birth were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. I love that phrase. He himself is our peace. Who has made... Of the two groups, that's Jew and Gentile, one. He's made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body, his own body, the crucified body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Praise God. Incredible passage. Incredible. From a first century Jewish perspective, which is Paul's perspective, the world is fundamentally divided into two groups, Jew and Gentile. Every other division is is inconsequential compared to that one, Jew and Gentile. You're either an insider or an outsider. You're either a person of God or you're not a person of God. You're either in the covenant or you're not. And, And so that was a fundamental dividing wall. So when Paul says that in Christ the two have been made one and that that division has been collapsed, well, it's the paradigmatic division, and so if it has been collapsed, then all divisions have been collapsed. And so what Paul is saying here, and it's really breathtakingly beautiful and radical, is that in the person of Jesus Christ, when he was crucified, 
Um, all walls of hostility have been torn down. All divisions have been ended. Uh, he has created one new human race. That's why he's called the new Adam of the new human race. And in this new human race, the divisions of the old world, the Babel world, uh, those have all been brought to an end. And that's why he can say Christ is our peace. He is himself the peace for the entire world. And note the tense of this. Paul's not talking about a future dream. Like, oh, someday there'll be peace on earth. He says it already has happened. Christ is our peace already. He already has torn down the walls of hostility. He has ended all divisions. He has brought us together. He has brought all near to himself on the cross. It's already done. It's a reality. It's there. It's an amazing thing. And it's the person of of Jesus Christ himself that is that peace. Now, the thing is, um, not everyone knows that yet. Most people don't know that yet. And those who do know it, some of them reject it. Uh, And that's why we don't see this peace in the world that much. But from God's perspective, which is always the true perspective, this is a done deal. Amen? This is already accomplished. He himself is our peace already. Which means Christ is then the peace. He is the peace between the North Koreans and the South Koreans. And he is the peace between the Russians and the Ukrainians. Praise God. Uh, He is the peace between the European Americans and the Native Americans. He is the peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, He is the peace between all rival gangs and all rival countries and all rival races. He is the peace between rival neighborhoods, rival families, uh, rival businesses. He he is, if you can believe this or not, he's the peace between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party and the Communist Party and the Socialist Party. He is that already. Now, people ignore that and don't believe that or they don't want to submit to it, but that doesn't change the fact that he is that. He has already brought that. He is the peace of the world already. Now, see, if that's true, and it is true, then that means the only hope of seeing this peace manifested in the world is by people coming to know and accept and surrender to that peace, and he is the peace. That's the only hope there is. There's no other competing pieces out there. The, the word for peace, or the concept of peace in a Hebraic worldview, by the way, is shalom. And shalom is a lot more than just cease firing. Shalom is, is, a, is, is harmony to the core. In fact, Shalom is God's peace given to human beings. That's what Christ brings. God's peace. Peace with God, peace with each other, peace with ourselves. That's true peace. And the only one who has it is Jesus Christ. Uh, We will never have this kind of peace until, except insofar as people know it, surrender to it, acknowledge it, and live by it. Uh, But he is that already. Which, Which means, then, that... Uh, this isn't the kind of peace that, that we can create. I appreciate people who, who try to create peace in conflicts of situation. I, I appreciate the politicians, world leaders, social groups, police, uh, various groups that try to create peace in, in hostile situations. I appreciate that. But the truth is that the most they can do is bring about a temporary ceasefire. And that's a good thing, but it's a temporary ceasefire. It's, a, it's an artificial sort of peace. Uh, it's a surface piece. They can get people to tolerate one another where before they were maybe killing each other. And praise God for that. But that's a million miles short from what the kind of peace that Christ brings. The shalom of God. The harmony of God. That is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So if you're a Jesus follower, I encourage you. Uh, don't put any stock. Don't put any stock in the peace plan of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Socialist Party or the Communist Party. Don't put any eggs in the peace plan of the President or the United Nations or of the police. I, I, I don't put any, stake any of your well-being on someone being able to figure out how to bring about a peace. And the best they can do, 
the best they can do is have a temporary ceasefire, uh, and usually they can't even do that. Uh, but thank God, they, they, that's, that, that when they do that, that's good. That's good insofar as it goes. But folks, uh, put all your stock in one basket. Put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, put all your well-being in one basket, and that is in Jesus Christ, the one who's already brought the peace. He is our peace. He alone has this harmony of God. And see, when we do that, when we do that, uh, if all of our hope, as we sang earlier, all of our hope for peace, inner peace and peace with others, when all of it is put on Christ, then we are able to experience that peace, that peace that passes understanding, that shalom of God. 2,800 years ago, Isaiah was uh, part of Israel. Israel was being attacked by the Assyrians, this vicious army, vicious army. And so everybody was freaking out. And right as the Assyrians were coming, Isaiah prayed this prayer. He says this to the Lord, You will give, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all, the, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. He just knew Yahweh. He didn't know what we know, Yahweh in the person of Jesus Christ. But how true this is, how important this is, to keep our eyes fixed on the one who is our peace. When we do that, when all of our hope is in him and our eyes are fixed on him, we are able to experience uh, a perfect peace in all situations. In a world that sometimes looks crazy, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who is our peace. And then you can experience perfect peace. In a world where people are understandably anxious over the growing influence of ISIS, keep your eyes fixed on the Prince of Peace. And you can experience perfect peace. In a world where you, you begin to wonder, when is the next bomb going to go off? And when's the next madman going to go into a theater and start shooting up everybody? Keep your eyes fixed on, on the Prince of Peace, who is our peace. And you can experience, begin to experience that perfect peace. Some folks are getting anxious because Islam's the fastest growing religion. It's just a matter of time before they take over the world. In a world like this, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and he'll give you perfect peace. That's the promise of God. And when you don't know how you're going to pay your rent, uh, you know, you don't know if the family's going to stay together. And you're not sure if you're going to keep your job. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and he'll give you perfect peace in all circumstances, amidst all the conflict, in the middle of war. Keep your eyes fixed on him, the Prince of Peace, who gives perfect peace. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, who, who knows what's going to happen in the short term? Life is very transitory, but I can tell you on God's authority, in the long term, folks, things are going to turn out just fine. Not just fine, fantastic. Not just fantastic, super incomprehensibly beautiful fantastic. It's, it's going to be all right. And so if we keep our eyes fixed on that, we can have now what will be true later on, this shalom of God, peace in our life. Christ has already established this in, in this world. Now, people can reject it, and people can suppress it, and people can ignore it. People can violate it, but people cannot defeat it. Because it's a done deal. Praise God. Nothing's going to defeat this. So, folks, ISIS is not going to win. All right? The terrorists are not going to win. Racists are not going to win. Rapists are not going to win. Violence is not going to win. Hatred's not going to win. Evil is not going to win. The one who will win is the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of all lords. The cross will triumph. It has triumphed already. It's triumphed already. It's a done deal. The love of God will define every square inch of the cosmos. It's a done deal. It's just a matter of people manifesting it. But it will get there. So keep your eyes fixed on him and have perfect peace. Now that's important, not just to calm our souls in a world that can be very terrorizing. It's not just for our sake, but it's important for the kingdom of God. Because, as we're now going to see, we are called to be peacemakers. We're called to be, to be bringers of this peace. We don't really make it, it's there, but we manifest it. And in a world of conflict, we're called to be bringing the shalom of God to these conflicts.
So the question is, right? that's why Paul calls us, by the way, ambassadors of Christ. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. Jesus says that we're called to be peacemakers. So what does it look like to be a peacemaker in this world of conflict? What does it look like to be a peacemaker, to manifest the truth that Christ is our peace uh, when your husband's acting like a total jerk? Or what does it look like to manifest the truth that Jesus is our peace when you've got a neighbor who's snow blowing his snow into your driveway? And he could just easily put it out in the road. Do you have anyone to do that? That happens sometimes. Or, or whether you have the dog that won't shut up at one in the morning. You know, what, what does peace look like there? Or when you're at work and your coworker is chronically lazy and you've got to carry the extra load. What does the shalom of God look like there? Or your boss is cranky and, and you've got to put up with just all sorts of crap. What does the peace of God look like in that context? Or in a country that is experiencing increasing racial tension in light of the barrage of these police videos, what does is, what is manifesting the peace of God look like there? Um, or where there's increased tension between Muslims and non-Muslims. Uh, some are even saying that we should not let any Muslim ever immigrate to America again. Uh, what, is, what does it look like to manifest the shalom of God in that context? Okay, I, I'm going to submit to you this, that the way we manifest the peace of God that's already here, the way we manifest that, it was the same way that Jesus brought it. We imitate the one who brought it, and that's how we, we manifest it. Which leads me to a second passage that we groove on around here, and I'd like to read from this. I want to call this an incarnational model of, of peacemaking. Paul says, in, in your relationships with one another, in all your relationships with one another, which would include in all your conflicts with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Set your mind on this, a mindset. Lock it in. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Now, that word in Greek, kenosis, it means to empty yourself or to divest yourself of something. It doesn't mean he became a nobody. He just set aside all the advantages. And he did that to take on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So notice here, Jesus, to become our peace, he was willing to do this. He set aside everything that was non-essential to his identity. He, all the advantages he had, he set aside so that he could become a real human being. Now, he, he didn't set aside his divine character, because that's, that's what defines God. God is perfect love from eternity to eternity. If God ever set aside love, he wouldn't be God. So he, he's, he's a perfect loving being, but he sets aside all the other advantages of being God in order to become a finite a human Everything that was not essential to his identity, he was willing to set that aside. And he did that to enter into our world, to enter into our experience, to enter into our perspective, to identify, fully identify with us in our fallen condition, and ultimately to fully identify with our sin on the cross. He set aside his own advantages to fully enter into our reality, our perspective, our experiences. And this, folks, is, I think, the model for peacemaking. Uh, we, of course, are not God. You may have noticed that we're not God. So we can't set aside divine advantages, but we're set aside a lot of other things. I can break this down into three principles, all right? Three principles. Number one is on how to imitate Jesus in being a peacemaker. Make sure your identity is in Christ. Make sure your identity is in Christ. Here's the thing. The most important ingredient in being able to be a conflict resolver, a peacemaker, is being able and willing to fully enter into the perspective of the other person and to see the conflict from their, from their vantage point. It's crucial to all peacemaking. But to do that, we've got to be willing to imitate Christ and set aside everything that's not essential to our core identity. Like the need to be right. 
or the need to prove yourself right in front of others, or the need to get your way. Those aren't essential to your identity. Uh, and so they need to be set aside. But see, if, if, if being right and proving yourself right and getting your way, is, if that's wrapped up in, in, in your identity, if that's part of your worth, if that's part of your significance, well, then you won't be able to set that aside. And you'll never be able to enter into the perspective of the person that you're in conflict with. You'll be, be too busy protecting your rightness or protecting how you look or trying to get your way. That's why it's so crucial that we get all of our life and worth, our core identity, from Jesus Christ and from Jesus Christ alone. The core of who we are should be defined by one thing and one thing only, and that is what does God think about you as revealed on Calvary? The fact that he loves you to this degree, that he would go to this extreme. He values you this much. This should be the core of who we are, our core worth, our sense of significance. And see, if we have our identity locked in Christ and in Christ alone, then we don't need to cling to being right. We don't need to try to prove ourselves before anybody. We don't need to get our way, which is why we can do what Christ did, set aside all non-essentials in order to now get into the perspective of the other and, 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 and see the world from, from their angle. So I encourage us uh, in all conflict situations to remind yourself that your life is in Christ and nothing else really matters. Your life is in Christ. Nothing else really matters. Um, I, I do this all the time. It's uh, my favorite phrase I repeat to myself. Life is Christ. Nothing else really matters. I find that it helps give me calm if I'm nervous. It, it calms me down when I'm in a conflict situation. Uh, don't wait to the conflict situation to start reciting it, though. Let this mindset be in you. Uh, set this in your mind. If you wait till conflict situations for this to, to uh, uh, you know, come into effect, that's the hardest time to do it. And so if you haven't been practicing, you're probably not going to do it well. So I encourage you throughout the day, life is Christ, nothing else matters. I, I, uh, I had this experience some, some time ago. Uh, a person confronted me in front of some other people. And by confront, I mean was going crazy on me. This person was really angry. They looked like they were going to pop. You ever talk to a person like that? And if you had a pin, you, you, you feel like you poked them, they'd pop. Because it was just like... I'd say they, they were... I, I would say that, you know, you could see blood in their eyes. But in light of this last week, I'm not going to say that. Because some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch the news and you will. Uh, enough of that. But this person was really mad, swearing at me, voice quivering. And um, there was a part of me initially, I told you that nonviolence doesn't come natural to me. My instinct, there's a, the old Greg Boyd who still hangs around a little bit. And it was like this, you know, my amygdala got triggered, the chemicals were going through my system. It was like, oh, you, you want to mess? You want to have a word fight with me? Fine! And I want to pull up my fifth grade old Rocky, you know, and start going at the guy. Um, but, and see, if I had done that, if I had done that, then, um, well, he, you know, calling out how rude he was and, and how he had misinformation, he's ignorant and whatever, that would have triggered his need to be right and look good in front of people and um, uh, get his way. And now we would have, we'd go nuclear, and that happens all too often. Uh, as, this, as he was confronting me, I, I said to myself, my life is crazy. I didn't say it out loud, but as I'm listening, I'm just going through this mantra, as it were, in my head. Life is Christ, nothing else matters. Life is Christ, nothing else matters. My life is in Christ. So my life is in Christ, and so I don't need to be right. Maybe this person is going to point out something that I need to hear. I, I, my life is in Christ. I don't need to look good in front of these people here. My life is in Christ. I don't need to get my way. And uh, that allowed me to listen to the person. Now, it didn't excuse the way they were communicating things and all the rest, but it allowed me to at least find out Given their perspective of this thing that happened, I could see why they would be angry. They shouldn't have expressed it this way, but I understand at least 
given their perspective. And having gotten his perspective, I was able to then broaden his perspective, giving him information he didn't have, correcting misinformation that he had. And so now he didn't be angry at me anymore, and everything was peachy keen once he got detoxed from all the chemicals that were flowing through his system. But yeah, it was a... So I encourage us to, to really lock that in. My life is in Christ. Nothing else really matters. I encourage you to say that throughout the day. Uh, you know, you can't hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth when things are, you know, a clutch inning if, uh, if you haven't been practicing swinging the bat. So also, we can't be good at something in an extreme situation unless we practice it in a non-extreme situation. Get your life from Christ. And that frees you to set aside all non-essentials in a conflict situation. And that's the first step to becoming a peacemaker. Secondly, Remind yourself that the person you're in conflict with has unsurpassable worth. Unsurpassable worth. Jesus set aside his advantages and became a human being and died on the cross because he thought we were worth it. And in doing that, he's ascribing unsurpassable worth to every human being. And our job, if we're followers of Jesus, if we call him Lord, the 101, assignment 101, is to agree with him on that opinion. You can't call him Lord and disagree with his opinions. That's, that's not allowed. He's right on this. And so our job is to agree with him that every person we see in every situation, no ifs, ands, or buts, has unsurpassable worth. And our job, Christianity 101 here, is to not only agree with him mentally, but to reflect our agreement with him by how we talk about the person, how we talk to the person, and how we interact with the person. In all situations, including this conflict situation. Ew. Which means then that in any conflict situation, communicating your agreement with God which is what it means to love another person. Communicating that you regard them as having unsurpassing worth is infinitely more important than winning the argument. And that, has to be, that, that priority has to be reflected in how we go about discussing this issue. The other person has unsurpassable worth, and our job is to reflect that. Now, I promise you, you won't be able to do that unless you're getting all your life from Christ. If you're getting, if you're getting any worth from being, the need to be right and from the need to look right and the need to get your way, then... Proving yourself right and looking good and getting your way will have more worth to you than the person. To the degree that you value those things, this person is worth less. And so you'll, you'll, you'll be just protecting all that. You can't be ascribing worth to the person if you're at the same time protecting your own worth. It doesn't work like that. And so the kingdom is all about ascribing worth to others at cost to ourselves. And this is what we must be willing to sacrifice to communicate their unsurpassable worth. Um, it, Communicating that worth is infinitely more important than winning the debate. So just be reminding yourself of that and get your life from Christ. Which leads to the third thing. And this is the biggie. Listen and validate. The only way to get on the inside of another person's perspective and experience is to listen. To really listen. To try to understand. Empathize. And to validate. Now validate doesn't mean you're going to agree with them. It just means you're saying that you respect their right to have the perspective... And that you're trying to understand it. And insofar as you understand it, you validate it. I, I can see your point there. I can see why you'd think that. doesn't mean you agree with it, but you can see. Look, Jesus didn't agree with us, and he came into our perspective. We were totally wrong, and yet he incarnated himself among us. So also, whether you think the person's right or wrong, the first job of being a peacemaker is to enter into that perspective, uh, to try to fully understand it. If your identity is wrapped up in being right, or looking good in front of others, or uh, getting your way... Well, you won't be able to do that. You won't really listen. If your identity is wrapped up in being right and proving yourself right, looking good in front of others and getting your way, then while the other person's talking, you'll be preparing a speech. And you'll be, you'll be collecting ammo, right? You know what I'm talking about? Can anybody say amen in this place? 
That's how, that's how it goes down. So the wife says, Honey, why can't you be considerate and call me when you know you're going to be late? Because I just... And at that point, the husband starts thinking to himself, Oh, here she's going to go on her inconsiderate speech again. Well, you want to talk about inconsiderate. Well, just, just A couple months ago, I, I asked her. I, I, I remember I told her, you know, It would be nice if I didn't have to always initiate sex. It would make me feel more wanted if you would do that once in a while. Would you just you know, try to do that? And she hasn't once ever done that. You talk about inconsiderate. As soon as he shuts up, I'm going to zing her with that. And about that time, all of a sudden, he hears the wife say, Well, what do you think? He goes, About what? She goes... The garage! The garage! You don't, you don't listen when I'm talking to you. Why don't you listen to me when I'm talking to you? You just check out. And then the husband starts going, oh, here we go on that speech about how I never listened to her. Well, uh, the other day I asked her to do this and she did that. And there's not much communication going on there, really. No one's entering into each other's perspective. You see, that's just not the good way to be incarnational. It just doesn't work. This is what drives me crazy about political fights. Uh, you know, we're going in that wonderful time of every four years. And um, I don't know if you watched the debates this last week or not, but it's, it happens on debates. It happens on Fox News and w, MSNBC. No one listens to anybody. When, when other people are talking, they're all preparing a speech in their head. They, 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 they talk past each other. They, it, doesn't, it doesn't even matter what the person asked or what the point another person made. They just come out with what they wanted to say. They're always preparing a speech in their head. It drives me crazy. Because in politics... It's all about being right and looking right and getting your way. And to do that, you've got to make the other person look bad and, and uh, look wrong and, and not let them get their way. So everyone's preparing a speech. No one's listening and drives you crazy. I hate, hate when they have a television, four talking heads all screaming at each other at once. You ever heard that? It, it's chaos. They don't stop it. It's just four people talking at once. That is, that's ADD hell. <laughs> it's like, it, shut up! And they encourage that. I, I, I did a couple of, of cable debates on theology. And before, and they would say, okay, it, it, we like it feisty, that the audience likes to you know, see that you guys are really engaged. So it, feel free to interrupt each other. It's a Christian station. Doesn't the Bible talk about not being rude or something? It, it's just rude. Maybe it does help ratings, but it's rude. No one's listening to anybody. That's why, that, that's why you, you have so little progress when it comes to politics. People don't talk. They just fight. They just scream at each other. Okay, I better shut up. I'll move on. But you get the point. It's so important. It's so important to, to listen and then to validate, to get on the inside. But again, you can only do that. You can only do that if you're getting all your life from Christ, setting aside all non-essentials, and ascribing unsurpassable worth to the person. Listen and validate. Um, it's especially important when a person's perspective or way of thinking and life experiences are very different from your own. That's where it's hardest, and that's where it's most necessary. Okay, a key illustration of this is what's happening right now in the country. Um, with regard to race relations, uh, you know, here's, the reality is this, that black folk and Latino, Hispanics, other people of color, they, have, they can have, tend to have a different experience than most white people. And therefore, they interpret events differently than many white people. Um, and unless white people are trying to have a relationship where they can have an opportunity to listen and validate and expand their perception, until that happens, this tension is going to keep on increasing. Um, the, the reality is this, that it means something different to be pulled over in a car when you're black than it does to be pulled over when you're white. Now, I know that right now, Maybe in this auditorium, certainly on pod, or with our pod listeners. Love you, pod listeners. Um, but some people are getting angry at me right now. 
And I know that because I get emails every time I mention this, or tweets every time I mention it, because people accuse me of trashing the police. And I'm not trashing the police. I love the police. I'm thankful for police. Uh, there's a wonderful policeman friend right down the, the, our block. I, I, I love the police. I think most of them are great. I'm simply conveying and validating a, the perspective of non-white people. Um, and that's valid. They have different experiences than, than I do as a white person. And that's got to be listened to and it's got to be validated. Uh, if that doesn't happen, then see, if you assume that your perspective's always the right one, then then everyone else has just got to be wrong. One person wrote me in one of these nasty emails, said, I'm so tired of all your liberal talk about white perspectives and black perspectives. I don't have a a white perspective. I just see reality. (laughs) My life is Christ. Nothing else matters. My life is Christ. Nothing else matters. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, see, if your perspective is the only valid perspective, then you have to invalidate everybody else. And that's what happens. If you, if you see only reality, then obviously anyone who disagrees with you is intentionally distorting reality. Oh, they're playing the race card again. And that, that, that's where the conflict comes from. Look, the world's going to be the world, but the, this is actually an opportunity for the body of Christ to put on display something very, very beautiful. In a world of conflict, to manifest the shalom of God. Christ is our peace. Christ is our peace. Amen. Christ is our peace. The the hostility has ended. He's brought that reality. People reject it. People don't know about it. People won't surrender to it. But we are the people who have. And and so we have an opportunity here to manifest something beautiful that the world desperately needs to see. It won't happen with a magic wand, though. Hocus pocus. Everything's wonderful. No, it, it happens when we, in fact, live out the one new humanity, which means we have got to be a people who go out of our way to build relationships across racial lines. And to enter into uh, 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 situations where we can listen and learn from one another and share with one another and validate the perspectives to broaden our own little myopic uh, view of things. And in doing that, we can put on display the beauty, the beauty of the one new humanity, the beauty that Christ has reversed Babel, the beauty that Christ has brought reconciliation. Praise God. Because we're not trying to protect our rightness and we're not trying to protect our, what we look like in front of people. We're not trying to always get our way. No, have the same mindset as Christ, which was humble, humble to enter into the perspective of another. So folks, in this world of conflict, I encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, who will reign in the end, and the one new humanity will reign with him. And don't let your heart be troubled about all the goings-on of this world. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And I encourage us then to be a people who imitate him, who imitate him as we uh, uh, get our life from him, as we set aside everything non-essential to our identities, Uh, in order to enter into the perspective of others and to listen and validate as we ascribe unsurpassable worth to them. Think for a moment here of a person we all have in our life that you tend to have conflict with, maybe severe, maybe mild, but think of that person. And I want to encourage you in this respect as a close here to this week, as you're thinking about this person, maybe you're in conflict with or you were, you you, you know you will be in the future. Nothing happened. We don't get good at something unless we practice so start by praying for that person. You pray for the person and then pray about the person. And by that I mean this. A wonderful gift of God is this thing called imagination. And in the spirit, imagine you in conflict with this person, as you have been maybe in the past. And maybe these are a thing where you tend to lose it. You tend to get like I got in fifth grade. Um, but picture yourself now. Imagine yourself. 
in this conflict situation, but now instead of responding the way you've tended to respond, you say to yourself, life is Christ, nothing else really matters. You set aside, you need to be right, and you need to look good, and you need to get, to get your way. Um, you ascribe unsurpassable worth to the person, and you listen and validate that. And let the Holy Spirit show you what that looks like. And I would go over and over that. Uh, and then when the situation actually happens, see, now you'll be prepared for it. I encourage us to be people who are practicing the mindset of Christ. Practice the mindset of Christ. Because the truth is, that is the true you. That reality is already here. You're just now manifesting what is already true about you and has been true since Calvary. Amen? Okay, would you stand? I'm going to close this in prayer. With a prayer team come up here, and I'd like to ask... Uh, I ask them to come forward. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, whether it's about this issue or anything else, please come up here and pray with these folks. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him, uh, and you want to start doing that, find out more about it, come up here and talk to these folks. They'd love to get you started on that walk. Fathers, we leave this place. First of all, we thank you for being a God who's already established the peace, and the peace is Christ. Uh, you've already torn down the walls of hostility. The world doesn't know it yet. They don't live it out, but, Father, you have, and we want to be a people who do manifest that. As we leave this place, Father, I pray that we are, are, will be committed to be a people who get our life only from you, nothing else, who have our eyes fixed on you and on nothing else, who have all of our stock, all of our eggs in the basket of, 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 of the cross. And I pray, Lord God, we be a people who ascribe unsurpassable worth to every person we see, and I pray we be a people who learn to listen and validate as we enter into the mindset of others that we can bring peace to conflict situations, that we can be peacemakers rather than conflict makers. Pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's peacemakers said. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Go out. Spread the peace.